All right, how's everybody feeling? You know, there's a trend going on in a lot of churches today where people don't bring their Bibles to church. Now, let me just talk to the leadership here, all right? I want everybody here, every time we do the Bible passage reading or whenever I'm, I'm preaching a sermon, all right, take out your Bibles and turn to those passages that we talk about, all right? We know we put the PowerPoint up there, but that's really for our guests and for people that don't have an ESV Bible, all right? So let me talk to the leadership. Make sure you bring your swords, amen? Uh, whoever's got their sword, why don't you just wave it up in the air? Wave that sword, make the devil nervous in the service. Hallelujah. All right, put it down. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, our church here, New Philadelphia, we have one vision. And uh, as we're having the staff retreat this past weekend, and even as... Um, Vicky Porterfield was uh, prophesying over me over dinner the other night. Uh, I was reminded that our church has one vision given by God, and we, it is up to us uh, not to be good and excellent at 20 different things, but we got to be faithful with what God's given us. We've got one vision, right? And I hope you memorize this vision. I hope you learn to love this vision because this vision is here to stay. And our vision is to raise up the army of God. It's real simple. And we believe that this army is destined for victory. Amen? We believe that this army is destined for victory. Now, you know, eschatology can be shrouded in a lot of uh, mystery. You know what? There's one thing that's clear. There's one thing that I'm very certain of regarding the end times. And that's the, that the church will be victorious. Okay. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what exactly is going to happen and how, what's the sequence of events. But Psalm 108.13 says, With God we will gain the victory, and He will trample down our enemies. Luke 10.19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. You know, Jesus is not coming back for a church that is passively watching the world go into moral decay while, they, while they're huddled in some bomb shelter waiting for Jesus to rapture them away. It's not the church Jesus is returning for. He's returning for a victorious church, amen? A glorious church. A church that walks out her call. And fulfills her destiny. A church that is the head and not the tail. A church that will fulfill the promise made to Abraham. To be a blessing to all nations. How many of you in here want to be a blessing to all nations? You know, in order for the church to be victorious and to be a blessing to all nations. We must rise up. As a church, in our identity as the army of God. This is a very powerful aspect of the church's identity. You know, if you look at the army of Joshua, it gives us a great picture of what God's army does. You know, when the army of Joshua, he, they went into different towns, they didn't just go and fight battles and just be victorious. What Joshua's army would do is they would go in and they would possess and occupy nations. 
When they saw the promised land, they weren't just looking forward to a few battles there to be victorious. They were looking forward to occupy and possess the promised land. They believed that it was given to them by God. And what we must understand is that in order for the knowledge of the glory of God to cover the earth as the waters of the sea, the army of God must learn to possess the nations. Now, how many of you guys in here, just hearing that, it just makes your heart just go, oh, are you kidding me? That sounds impossible. How are we supposed to possess the nations? Word of God says in Psalm 2, verse 8, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. I know it's hard to believe, but this is our destiny. Our inheritance are not just thousands of souls. Our inheritance are the nations. The prop. What was that? Yo, yo, yo. Come on. I bind that devil right now, Lord, by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. All right. Okay. We got to possess the nations. In order to be a blessing to all nations, we got to go. We got to really believe that we can be a blessing. Now, um, listen to the word of the Lord, right? The nations are our inheritance and the ends of the earth are supposed to be our possession. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything I have commanded you. You know, Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations. He did not say, go and make disciples of all peoples. He distinctly said, go and make disciples of all nations. So I don't know if you ever thought of it this way. But what Jesus is saying is, we're supposed to disciple nations. Hallelujah. That's the Great Commission. It sounds very familiar to the promise made to Abraham. You will be a blessing to all kinds of people. You will be a blessing to lots of individuals. No, God said you will be a blessing to all nations. We are to disciple nations. Now, how do, do, how do we do this? What are you tripping on today, Pastor Christian? How are we going to disciple the nations? How do we possess and occupy nations? All right, traditionally... The church has had one answer and one approach to answering this question. How do we do it? What do we think of? Get saved. Get saved. Evangelism. That's our one approach to try to possess the nations. We believe that if we can go to a nation like Japan, if we want to possess the nation of Japan, we got to evangelize all the people of Japan. Right? Isn't that what we think about? But what people fail to realize is a nation has never been taken as a result of an evangelistic harvest. 
You know, um, there are stories in nations in the continent of Africa where they experienced incredible evangelistic harvests. We're not talking thousands, we're talking tens of thousands. Not even tens of thousands, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ in a week, in a month, in a year. Surely such a harvest and all the numerous church plants that resulted would change a nation, right? If we saw that in Japan next week, we hear that a million and a half people in Japan get saved next week. Wouldn't we think that the nation of Japan may possibly start to change? Right? Well, check it out. You study some of these African countries. A few years later, these same nations, they end up in civil war, riots, and refuge camps. The same nations that experienced just hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ. Just a couple years later, they're in civil war. And it ain't all the non-Christians that are picking up the guns. It's not the non-Christians that are going and, and running these, these diamond mines. And, okay? What happened? Well, what happened is Christians went in and they got people saved. But what they did was they failed to occupy the nation. Although all these people got saved because poverty, disease, illiteracy, and corruption, and business, news media, and government, all that corruption still remained. These nations that experienced incredible evangelistic fruit, they end up with conditions worse than before. You know, Jesus taught us in Luke 11 that when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, that the evil spirit can wander about and then they try to return to the original person that they left. And when the demon finds the house swept and put in order, it goes and it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. They enter in to that person and they make the per last state of the person worse than the first. Now, I believe that this teaching applies to persons, but I also believe that this teaching applies to nations. You see, just as demons can dominate persons, demons can dominate nations. There are rulers, principalities, the Apostle Paul taught, that are at the high level of the demonic hierarchy. And these, these demons, they're, they're smart. They don't just possess one person. They don't just torture one family. They're talking about I'm going to take this entire nation. And there are these types of demons and principalities. And when such demons are driven, driven from a nation, there's an immediate need for that nation to be occupied. But because the church is clueless about how to occupy nations, all they do is they win souls, and then the demons later on return, and they make the condition of that nation worse than the first Does somebody understand what i'm saying here germany is a great example of this now i think in my previous message i talked about how germany makes great cars there's just wonderful engineers coming out of that nation they're they're just blessed in, in a lot of ways they're blessed and i and i told you my theory is that because martin luther you know really faithfully obeyed the word of god that nation just receive generational blessings. Thousand generations just receiving blessings as a result, result of that. 
But on the flip side, there's another dark story to Germany that we all know about. Okay? Germany was the home of Martin Luther. Uh, they experienced spiritual revival as people attained their own copies of the Word of God. Germany was also the home of the Gutenberg Press, making it possible to copy Bibles for everybody. But then how did, after this, how did just a few generations later, Germany produce one of the most atrocious nations history has ever seen? What happened? You get all these German people saved, wonderful leaders, and just a few generations later, they have Hitler. And don't, don't forget that Hitler wasn't alone. He had just multitudes of people in that nation following him and doing his every bit in order. You see, what happened was Christians won souls, but Christians did not occupy the nation of Germany. And so when the devil got a chance, he moved in and he made that nation seven times worse. So how do we occupy nations? How do we disciple the nations? How does the army of God possess and occupy nations? I'm glad you asked. Today I'm going to talk about this. This is a message that will equip us with a strategy to take nations for the kingdom of God. But you know what? It's more than just a message. This is a mandate. You know, a mandate is an official order or commission to do something. This is a mandate from our commander-in-chief. And I believe that uh, this mandate is going to really uh, revolutionize how the church advances the kingdom of God in this generation. Let me tell you about this mandate. This mandate was first given to Lauren Cunningham and Dr. Bill Bright in 1975. Okay. Uh, Lauren Cunningham is the founder of Youth with a Mission. And Bill Bright is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, in a vision, both of these men independently... They received this vision in which God described to them how to advance the kingdom of God in this generation. And later when they met together, they realized that God has showed them the same thing. And God showed them that this would be the way to reach nations for God. You know, you see, while the rest of the church talks about evangelism, Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright actually mobilize people to reach the young generation. They don't just talk about evangelism. They do evangelism. I should know. I was with Campus Crusade for six years. Every time I just wanted to take a rest, they said, it's time to evangelize. During my staff training, I had to evangelize at least 100 recorded evangelism encounters where I had to get through the entire four spiritual laws reading. That's not easy. That's not easy. In four months, man. Okay. I mean, these men of God, they really mobilize God's people to evangelize the world. Now, I think it's fitting that God will give these faithful men the strategy, the secret to not just win souls, but to take whole nations. So I don't think it was a coincidence that God chose these two men to get this vision. 
Now, let me tell you about the vision. The vision, God told, God showed them seven mountains. God told them that whoever takes these mountains takes the harvest of nations. Now, these seven mountains represent seven spears of strategic real estate that shape the thought life of a nation. In other words, these Seven mountains, they shape the culture of a nation, right? The thought life of a nation is the culture, right? These mountains are strategic in shaping the culture of a nation. Whoever takes these high places, even if you just take one or two of them, it can create a tipping point where you can shift the history of that entire nation. And I believe Satan knows this as well. Okay, so if you really study history, you'll see Satan at work in these seven areas as much as God is mandating us to do. Okay? Let me tell you what these seven mountains are. Now, I've listed them in alphabetical order because right now, as I preach, I am uh, asking and encouraging our leaders to memorize them. Okay? So you'll be uh, required to memorize them. There's only seven. It's not hard. If you're not a leader, you want to memorize it too? God bless you. Do it. All right, here comes a seven. Number one, it's real easy. It's A, B, A, B, E, F, G, Mr., M, R. Okay, A, B, E, F, G, Mr., M, R. A, B, E, F, G, M, R. Here we go. A, A is the arts mountain. This is the mountain where entertainment, fashion, music, orchestras, ballet, dance, movies, sports, creativity is fueled. Okay, um... The arts, it's the mountain where it's built for celebration and recreation. And although some people may think this is not important, you go to America, you know how influential Hollywood is upon the rest of the nation. They're just providing recreation and celebration, but guess what? They're shaping the way people think. Hallelujah. So that's the arts. Now some people, man... Sports is their religion, you know. I mean, and 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 they say, and that the and they, they say this, that the football stadium is their church, because they be up in there every Sunday, right? And they're passionately, you know, celebrating their team. Hallelujah! Hopefully, not worshiping their team. And they shouldn't worship. I don't think they do. Hallelujah! It's okay. It's okay to like sports. Amen, brothers. Uh, it's, it's okay. God has given us sports. It's good. It's a gift. It's good. Celebrate. Second mountain, business, finance, oil wells, diamond mines. Psalm 24.1 says the earth is the Lord's. Okay, everything that God has provided on the earth that we can use to produce wealth, set up businesses. Okay, this is the mountain. Computer technology, banking, economics. Okay, this is all upon the business mountain. Now, what you notice is this mountain actually... It, it, it's very important because it helps rule all the other mountains. It's one of the most influential ones. Okay. I don't think there's a coincidence that your pastor went to, you know, one of the finest business schools in America. Hallelujah. And, I, and I, I'm not that smart. I'm not bragging that I had, a, I had a great GPA and an SAT score. If you ever found out my SAT score, you'd be like, how'd you get into Stern? Okay. But yeah, I went to NYU Stern. And I, and I believe that God has equipped me with certain things there that he wants to bring into the church. To equip the saints 
to take this mountain, the business mountain. All right. So, uh, you know, we got some, we got some brothers and sisters here in the business realm. Amen. Why, why are the Hagwon teachers saying amen? We're, we're the business people. Well, raise your hand. Business people, business people. All right. We got, we got, our deacon is, is, uh, is an employee at Cisco. That's a pretty big computer company. We got Sunny. I think she's like the CEO now, right, Sunny? <laughs> she's getting some, so many promotions. I can't keep up. <coughs> All right. We, uh, we got Brother Sung here. He's working for a computer software company. They're trying to do something very innovative. Uh, Innovative, hallelujah. They're on the business mountain. Third, education mountain. Glory to God, man. There are so many people in this church that are working on the education mountain, amen? And you love it, amen? Okay, that was a little, <laughs> lot weaker. You know, but this mountain is very important. Whoever shapes the ideology of, a young, of the young people, of the young generation... They're going to shape that nation. You know, the way Adolf Hitler, he raised up his army, was he raised up a youth army. And he used education to do it. So by the time these kids would be 15, 16 years old, they were just completely, you know, just worshiping Hitler. Following his every command. Okay. Hitler knew to take the education mountain, he would influence the entire nation. Um... This could be people who write textbooks, scientists, doctors. It's all cover into the education mountain. Fourth is the family mountain. Glory to God. Who's got children and you are, you are, you are on that family mountain, right? Okay, well, you know, we got the housewives here. But we also have each and every one of us. We need to fight for this mountain. The family mountain. Curses or blessings, they're often generational. And they're passed down in the family. So once you lose the fabric of the family, Satan will get into all kinds of false ideologies. Okay? Just think about how important, even in a non-Christian nation, how important fab- family is to a society. When the family breaks down, so does that society. You know, this is why divorce okay, is such a demonic agenda. Divorce, Satan just uses divorce to cut down and, and take over that family mountain. Same-sex marriage, it's just not a political issue. This is, I'm telling you, it's a demonic agenda. When Satan can redefine what marriage is, what the family is, okay, he's going to get enormous influence. All right, let's go to fifth, the government mountain. This is where laws are legislated, politics. This is where corruption is stamped out through the court systems of a nation. Okay, this is the government mountain. Anyone in here is interested in working for government? Working, working for politics, law, international law? Nobody? All right, a couple. All right. All right, don't keep dreaming that dream. That mountain is very important to take. Okay. Six is the media mountain. Okay, this is different than the arts. The media mountain is where information is collected and distributed. CNN, newspapers, internet, 
magazines. Okay? And it's very important that Christians take this mountain, that they are in positions of influence in these companies. What does happen? The church often withdraws from such environments. They get intimidated by such environments. How many Christians do we know have their own talk show? How many Christians do we know, you know, is an is a, is a anchor person? You know? Very influential. Think about Barbara Walters, man. Barbara Walters, man. She just really shaped my thinking when I was growing up. The 2020 show. I used to love that show. 48 hours, 60, 60, 60 minutes. Man, those are some good shows, man. That's all media. This is very important because media has a power to spin ideas and manipulate what public opinion. You might, you might think they're just, you know, relaying facts, but they can relay those facts inaccurately. Why do you think Al Jazeera is such a, they're such a powerful force in the Middle East? All right. That's the media. Media. Even like the terrorists. If you ever if you see Al-Qaeda, you know what they do? Uh, if you go on like the WashingtonPost.com, you can download videos of uh, all these investigations about how Al-Qaeda, they make, they, they have these multi, with Apple computers, they, they use Final Cut or, and they probably use actually Windows, I don't know. Okay, but they're using like all these uh, video editing software and these, you know, cheap camcorders and they make these fantastic productions and they show these videos of U.S. vehicles getting blown up. And then they use that to advertise and recruit people. Man, they, they really take media, man. People who are in the military know what I'm talking about. And it's painful to watch that. If, you're, if, you, know, if you know you have a friend or somebody got injured or, or died. But man, man, that's Satan using that media mountain to get that influence. And the seventh mountain is the religion mountain. This is where church exists. Full-time ministers. They are in the business of taking the religious, religion mountain. Okay? Think about it. A lot of countries in the world, they have a national religion. Okay? And that religion influences the entire nation, whether they like it or not. All right. So these are the seven mountains. Arts, business, education, family, government. Media and religion. Seven. All right. All the furnace leaders. Okay. Next time we meet, I want all of them. In order. In backwards order. I'm just kidding. Actually, I'm not. I want it in backward order. All right. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. No, I'm playing. <coughs> now, the interesting thing about these mountains are the ones who take these high places are not the majority, it's the remnant. Just a few can take these mountains, and as long as they're on these high places, they can influence the entire nation. Uh, for example, 6% of the American population would say that they have a gay and lesbian bias. 6% of the nation. This means that 6% of the American population has made more progress over the last 15 years than 35% of Americans who identify themselves as evangelical and are opposed to gay rights and same-sex marriage. Okay? Only, it only takes 
and they're, they're changing the laws of the nation. Or think of it this way. Um, 8% of Americans are pro-same-sex marriage. Only 8%. 85% of America, they want to define marriage as one man, between one man and one woman. Okay, whether it's evangelicals, Catholics, even Mormons, you know, people in cults, they, they also believe in, in monogamy, between, a marriage between man and woman. 85%, and they're losing out to the 8%. What is going on here? Okay, it's because these groups, they have an agenda to take high places. They don't need everybody to agree with them. They just need to take the high places. So what these, these groups do is they gain legitimacy in the government, in the arts, in business, in education. And they know that if they can get, if they can climb these mountains in all these different areas, they know that they can change the mindset of an entire nation. So they aim strategically for these high places. Now, preachers in the church they tell their people, and this has included me as well. They tell their people, hey, don't, don't even bother trying to change and influence the culture of nations. We need to concern ourselves with evangelism and getting people saved. Your workplace is simply an environment where God wants you to evangelize to more people and then to make money so you can tithe. Okay? That's what most pastors will say to you. Okay? <clears throat> now, this is great. For the pastor who's on the religion mountain. Okay. Because as long as this message is popular, man, his, he's climbing that mountain. His mountain's doing real well. But it results in depression for everybody else is working on, on the, all the other mountains. All these other guys, it makes it sound like God doesn't care about the arts. Doesn't care about business. Doesn't care about media, education, and government. All he's interested in is full-time missionaries and pastors and evangelism. <clears throat> Thus, many Christians they concern themselves they concern themselves with Sundays and church activities, but they find it difficult to find purpose and meaning in how their work builds the kingdom of God. So, what do we do? We end up giving the minimum. We end up not doing our best. We just give the leftovers. And the Christian who is going out to church and that is not a pastor and not in full-time ministry, they sit through church services and they are not given a clear and compelling vision about what they are called to do. So all we hear about is building the religious mountain, the religion mountain. And this results in an apathy and futility toward cultural transformation. I mean, how many of us in here are burning with a passion for cultural transformation? Two people. <laughs> I told you. Uh, many of us, we, that's not our agenda. We rather, we got to evangelize. Bring a friend day. All right, bring a friend day. Come on. We got to get people saved. And that, that becomes, and that should be a priority. But that, when that becomes our only priority, the rest of the work week becomes meaningless. This is not God's will, brothers and sisters. I pray that today there may be a shift in your paradigm 
about the kingdom of God. Let me de-educate you right now. Because you have been miseducated. Hallelujah. How many of y'all thought, thought about Lauren Hill right there? Right? That's all, uh, I was thinking about Lauren Hill. She's good. She's good, man. She just stayed in her game, man. She was, she was doing real good stuff. Anyway. <coughs> let me explain something. There's a difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, let me explain this, okay? The gospel of salvation is repent, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. Okay? Now, the gospel of the kingdom is the government will be on his shoulders. The gospel of salvation says, let's win the lost. The gospel of the kingdom says, let's win nations. The gospel of salvation says, we got to go to church. And the gospel of the kingdom says, you will be blessed to be a blessing. We are called to be the church wherever we are placed. The The gospel of the kingdom. Does the gospel of the kingdom say, you will be blessed to be a blessing to individuals? No. doesn't say that. It says, you will be a blessing to nations. You know, getting thousands of people saved in a country will bless that nation. No? That's good. But to really bless that nation, you also have to teach the church within that nation to rise up and stamp out corruption in government. Provide clean water for the people. Reform the education system of that land. Produce good movies. Set up some infrastructure, roads, electricity, Print accurate news. Okay. All those things bless the nation too. And what the church has done is all we have done is focused on just evangelism to bless the nation and defined it only in that very one dimensional way, that very exclusive way. But what God is giving the message of the kingdom says the government will be on his shoulders. You will be a blessing to nations. <laughs> you see this uh, seven mountain mandate. This is the strategy of the army of God. This is a, this is a template for warfare. It's about how to possess and occupy nations. And when it comes down to it, you know, the church loves talking about taking territory for the king. But we have no language for it. We don't know what that really looks like, do we? Okay. This mandate provides both the language and the strategy to answer the Lord's prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. 
We all define, Lord, let your kingdom come as simply more converts. And God is saying, let your kingdom come. That means you go out, you take the nations, hallelujah. You reform the education system of that land so that they do not walk in darkness. You bring religious freedom through government, through business, through education. You know, Jesus spoke and preached often on the kingdom of God. You know, he loves the church. He loves the church, but he preached mostly on the kingdom of God. And, you know, most churches, they teach that the church is the kingdom. And it is in one sense. But I believe that the kingdom is much larger than just the church. This is going to shock some of you. If we define the kingdom as synonymous with the church, that means that the way we advance the kingdom becomes mainly quantitative. Right? It becomes all about putting our resources toward the harvest of souls, toward missions, toward church planning. And that's exactly what we do, isn't it? Right? Advancing the kingdom is all quantitative. But if we define the kingdom... As the rule and reign of Christ on the earth. Okay. That means that the way we advance the kingdom is not just quantitative, but qualitative. We go from not just winning souls, but discipling and teaching everything that Jesus commanded us. Discipling and teaching the Christian brother that just got hired in your company. But also, sharing the teachings of Christ with your non-Christian CEO. He doesn't like all that religion. He doesn't like all that church. But guess what? When you teach the teachings of Christ to him, and it starts to influence the way he does business, and he starts to see success as a result of doing things the right way, you're going to influence him. You might, you might be thinking, That's, that doesn't sound right. I'm about to blow your mind. I'll give you plenty of examples in the Bible of how God did that. I'm going to do it a little later. I hope I remember. Hallelujah. <laughs> I got to stay with this. Hallelujah. All right. If we define the kingdom as the rule, rule and reign of Christ, as the government being on his shoulders, if we define the kingdom in that way, that will mean that we need to give ourselves more to discipleship and teaching the church everything that Christ commanded us. And that means we need, as a people of God, whether we go into a nation and we are the majority or whether we are the remnant, we go into that nation and then we rise to influence, whether you get the position of influence or whether you influence somebody in position, Okay, we rise to influence and we use the teachings of Christ to provide the foundation for the arts, for business, for education, for family, for government, for media and religion. Hallelujah. So we need to redefine what it means to advance the kingdom of God. Look at Micah chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, right? And it's so funny because I was asking the Lord, I was reading this on my QT. I was like, Lord, what is that all about? What is this passage all about? I remember as a kid, I remember there was a song that went, 
Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of our God. Come on, everybody. Come and let us go up to the... That's good. (coughs) And uh, I was like, what does that mean? What is this mountain house business? All right, so look at this passage. Micah 4, verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days. Talking about the last days now. Hallelujah. That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Okay. There are seven mountains. But let me tell you, there is a mountain that overshadows them all. Okay. And that's the mountain of the Lord. And the word of God says, it shall be lifted up above the hills. And check this out. And peoples shall flow to it. And many nations, not just many individuals, many nations shall come and they will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Now, I don't think this is just exclusively the words of a believer. This could be the words of anybody in following the ways of God have found out the ways of God are true. The ways of God are good. And they're just like, come, let, let us go up to that place, to that God, you know, that God of Jacob. So that he can teach us his ways. There's something good. Our nation is changing for the better. Ever since we started holding to the teachings of God. The God of Jacob. Okay. So check this out. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And if you look in your ESV footnote, it says teaching. Right? Law is also a Hebrew word that can be synonymous for, for teaching. Okay. So out of Zion shall go forth this, the teaching of the Lord. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And check it out. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations afar off. Meaning strong nations that are to come. Like Germany. Like Japan. Like Korea. Like America. Okay. He shall decide for strong nations that are afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Which in the Hebrew tradition, fig tree represents peace. Okay? No one shall make them afraid. God's just talking about peace here. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Alright? And just in case you're wondering what this is really about, look at verse 5. Okay? And it's still a mystery about how to really interpret this text. But I'm just trying to interpret it in the lens of what I'm teaching today, right? Or, or I'm trying to... Anyway, verse 5. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. Okay, so this is talking about all these people that are coming to the mountain of the Lord. They're just serving their own gods. They're serving Hindu gods. They're serving Buddhist gods. They're people walk in the name of each of its own gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. What's it talking about? I believe this passage is giving us a glimpse of a time to come in our generation where a remnant... A remnant will change the entire nation. Where we will be living among a people that walk according to the name of their own gods. But we say, we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Where we are so good at what we do, whether it's making music, a night, a good, 
like, you know, check this out. Whether it's a Christian album or a non-Christian album, look, there's a difference between good music and bad music. I don't care how many words about God you put into a, an album. If that music's bad, I'm going to say it's bad. I don't care if there's all this kind of demonic stuff going on with, you know, Led Zeppelin albums. If the your music's good, it's good. Okay, And there's a lot of good music in the secular world. I'm sorry. I, I like Mariah Carey. <laughs> I, I, I don't care how you hate on her. I, I still think she's a believer. Deep inside, she's a believer. She's been scorching the healing deliverance. <laughs> we love you, Mariah. We're praying for you. Praying for you. Get back in that church and sing with the choir. But, uh, no, but, no, even if she, she comes back to the Lord, no, she doesn't have to go back to the church singing choir. She should be just making good albums. And teaching the people in her industry about the teachings of Christ. Whether they receive Christ or not. But she says, this is how I operate. I walk in the ways of God. I'm telling you, non-Christians will pick up on that. They will say, man, that's, that stuff works. I'll use it. I don't care. I'll use it. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, you see, when the people of God we climb these seven mountains and we influence the culture of a nation and we start to possess and occupy that nation okay that is when the mountain of the lord will shine forth across the entire world the mountain of the lord no one's going to come up to, no one's going to care about the mountain of the lord if you keep teaching at your hagwan with mediocrity with your leftovers you wing it. You know you'll be winging it. You'll be winging them lessons. <laughs> and for the people that have been very faithful and putting in your best, God bless you. Keep doing that. But the rest of us that need to really rise up, rise up. How, why do you think? You know, Prophet Dell was here a couple months ago, and he prophesied during Sunday Swim. He said, God is going to shake the education system of Korea. Okay? Have you really studied the education system of Korea? It is messed up. These kids, they go to school at 7, 8 in the morning, and they don't come home until past midnight. They go to school, then they go to after school, then they go to Hagwan, and they go to second Hagwan. I remember talking to my cousin when he was a senior in high school. He was like, oh, I just, take me to Korea. Put me in your luggage. I mean, take me to America. Put me in, in your luggage. Let me just escape this living hell. He just hated everything about the education system here. And you know what? It would be at least worth going through if it was producing some good results. But in his opinion, he said that I'm not learning nothing. I can't speak English, as you can tell. <laughs> and he was just like, you know, just complaining, complaining. I don't, I don't blame him. Why? This education system in this land needs reform. We, these children are losing their youth. They're, they're not connecting with their families because they're never home. And youth group ministry? Why do you think we, we, we have no youth group ministry in the Korean church here in Korea? Because these youth are hagwons every day. Look, hagwon teachers, you are their youth group pastor. I mean, they, will, they see you more than they will see a youth, typical youth group pastor. I don't think it's a coincidence. There's so many 
expatriates, foreigners that are in Korea teaching English. They're all wondering, what am I here for? What am I doing in Korea? I knew nothing about Korea before I came here. I'm starting to like kimchi, but man, what am I doing here? And they just start asking, and they come to me, and they come to church, and they're like, wow, church service is good. Wow, I'm starting to love God again. I, I want to really live for the Lord. What does my hagwon's job have to do with the Lord? And for many times, I didn't really know how to put a language behind what I felt in my spirit. I'll I, I just be like, man, just do what you do. Do it well. <laughs> and they'd be like, thank you. Man, if you saw them fourth graders in my classroom, you wouldn't know, no. Um, I'm telling you, you guys are in position to reform an entire education system, to climb the education mountain of a nation. And you know what? The education authorities of Korea, guess who they are looking to to reform their education system? They're looking to foreigners. SMOE program is, is a program where they're bringing in foreigners. And it's their best effort that they know how to make. You know, and they're maybe not doing a good job, but guess what? It's a seed. Brothers and sisters, we need to climb these mountains. And we need to put biblical foundations underneath each of these mountains. You know, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And that doesn't mean that there's just freedom in your church service. That means that there, if you want freedom... Economically, religious freedom, political freedom, that can happen. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And if the people of God will be filled by the Spirit of God, and they will go into their places and honor God and His Word, and not resort to the ways of the world, cheating, lying, exaggerating, coming late, Lord, forgive me. If they, we will not resort to the ways, the lazy ways of the world or the immoral ways of the world. We just honor God and His Word. Okay? He will bring His Spirit into that place, into that mountain, and into that nation. You know, Satan, with his powers, you know, he'd be up in the second heaven, and he looks at these seven mountains, and he infests these mountains with selfish, self-driven people that rise up and then he infests these mountains with sin and moral decay and then he just looks and waits for democracies to fail. I'm telling you right now. If he can get the democracy of a nation to fail, what he can do is Satan can then raise up a totalitarian a dictator to take that place because that dictator will now be serving the interests of a frustrated people, of people who have found out that everything in their society is failing them because there's just, there's just no one honoring God's word. So there, there's so, many, so much corruption happening. Everything's just failing. The thing about the economy in the U.S. just failed. I mean, if the economy was bad enough in the U.S., we might have seen a revolution last year. If it got really bad, you know what all the Americans would have done? They would have tried to start a revolution. I don't know who would have, they would have picked to be their dictator, like Oprah or I don't know who they would pick. 
Mariah Carey. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> might have, it might have happened. But check it out. What did, it didn't happen in America. It, it, it has happened in history. Okay. Think, think about... Think about... Um, Nazi Germany. Right? After World War I, economic failure, German people are, are frustrated. So what do they do? They look to this one leader as their hope. And he rises to power and he brings destruction across the entire European and, and the Western Russian front. I mean, they just brought so much destruction, didn't they? Think about the Khmer Rouge. Right? I'm telling you, who do you think set up the Khmer Rouge? What kind of government system takes all the educators, doctors, lawyers, politicians of a land, and anyone who has, been, has a college education, rounds them up and kills them in a killing field? Which government does that? I'll tell you right now, it's a government that Satan has waited to raise up. Or think about North Korea. Think about North Korea. North Korea is a great example of a, of a leader who's smart enough to take all seven mountains. Whether he did it out of his own volition, whether Satan influenced him. Okay. Kim Il-sung, he knew that if he takes the arts and shapes it for his own taste, he takes business and runs it under his power and control. He takes education and he puts up pictures of himself in every school, in every place that you go. And you educate them in the Juche ideology, something that he made up so that he gets full control. He took family. He redefined the family. The way he redefined the family was he said that I am your big papa. I am the kunapa. I am the father figure for every family in this nation. Took that mountain. He took over the government mountain. He took over media. Okay? They don't have five or six broadcast networks in North Korea. They just have one. Right? And he also took the religion. Because not only did he set up... I mean, I mean, North Korea is not communism, by the way. For, for those who don't really know, North Korea is not communism. It's a, it's a separate form of ideology that Kim Il-sung has formed, and it's more than just a political thing. It is a religion. Because guess what the people in North Korea do? They worship Kim Il-sung. They worship Kim Jong-il, and they are forced to do so. One man took all seven mountains in that nation, and that nation is living in intense darkness. Do you see how these seven mountains are so influential? I mean, even if just one mountain, one of the mountains, let's just say the media mountain, is taken away from the influence of Kim Jong-il, and it gets, it gets into the hands of some Christian or gets into the hands of a non-Christian who's being influenced by a Christian, I'm telling you, man, North Korea can change. Their whole history can change because the culture can be can be influenced by that mountain. 
But check this out. The elites that are currently at the top of most of these mountains in the nations, they're selfish. They have a system of prosperity, but they do not have a system of ethics and values. Okay? They do not have a kingdom value system. And you know what? Guess what? They probably have no Christians around them to influence them or teach them any better. So they just do what they do. They just do what they know. You know, this guy Lance Wall now, he teaches on this really well. He teaches that the number one reason why democracies are failing in the earth right now, all over the nations, is one, one, more reason, one reason, that's it. Corruption. Okay. He said, you go and talk to anyone who travels for business or ministry, and they will tell you one thing and one thing only, all right, is, is just destroying democracies. And that's corruption. Right? I mean, when the people vote a person into office and that person is corrupt, you've lost the trust of the entire nation. Right? I mean, think of how disillusioned we were when Enron was a big hoax. You know what? I could have told you about the Spirit of God. I remember when they came to NYU, I was a senior in college, and they had the biggest booth at our, at our career fair. And I went over to that booth. And the Lord said, don't go over to that booth. And they, you know what they did? They said, we're offering everybody a free, free trip to Houston or London just by applying. We'll take you to Houston and London on a full ride. You don't even have to accept, a, you don't even have to accept an offer. Just go on the trip. All my friends, they all signed up. They're like, oh, yeah, Enron, man, this is the next big thing. I'm like, what are the com- what's the company about? They're like, uh, I think they like trade energies or something. I'm like, baloney. I remember asking the, 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 the dude that was standing at the career fair. I was like, what is this company about? And the guy gave me this, like, 10-minute answer, and I could not wrap my head around what the heck he was talking about. It wasn't because I'm dumb. Okay. okay. It's because... He had nothing. The whole company, they weren't doing anything. It was just a big hoax. Where am I? Enron. <laughs> Corrupt. All right, so corruption, corruption is killing democracies. And what we need to do is we need to lay a foundation under the prosperity of nations. We need to lay a foundation of God's word. If we do that, the government will be on his shoulders. And that nation will most likely not experience a civil war. It will not result in destruction. Remember, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not just individuals, but entire nations. Just look at history. He's done it before. He will try to do it again. But guess what? The kingdom of God, the people of God, we can also go in to recover, to restore, and to... Take for the possess to occupy for the kingdom and glory of God. Now the good news is we can influence the culture of nations either in a covert way, right? Through a very indirect re-education of culture in that nation, or we can do it in an overt way, you know, evangelizing and preaching the gospel in that nation. But as Lance Wall now puts it, it doesn't matter if it's Jehovah Rofi, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sekinu. Or whether it's Jehovah Sneaky. He said, look, you don't have to go around telling everybody you're a Christian. Okay? 
When you get those opportunities, take them and share the gospel. But you just do what you do. You honor the word of God. And you trust and believe that the favor and anointing is on you to do what you do and do it with excellence. Do it to bless nations. I'm telling you, God has a way of getting his word in position as a foundation for companies, businesses, and nations before the devil even knows what happened. Okay? Think Joseph. Think Daniel. Here are two guys living in a pagan nation who does not call on or believe in in the God that they serve. And yet they influence these nations and they are a blessing to them. They are a blessing to them. Because the kingdom of God is bigger than the religion mountain, we need to try to change nations by climbing all seven. By trying to take all seven. Napoleon once said, the objective of war is victory. But he said the objective of victory is to occupy. The objective of war is victory. The objective of victory is occupation. So army of God, brothers and sisters, we as the army of God, we have a mandate to go out and not only be victorious, but the objective of victory is to occupy. Amen? It's no use if you go over there, spend all this money and time, you win a few souls, you win a lot of souls, and you come back. No, you got to teach them people there, or you got to do it yourself. You go and you occupy. You occupy the arts, you occupy education, you occupy business, you occupy all seven mountains. And then you bless, be a blessing to that entire nation. So that the gospel can go in, but not only that, but the people can get some clean water. You know, and the apostolic mandate is a mandate to go and occupy. You know, the, the word apostle was borrowed by Jesus from the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, apostles were simply delegates who would be sent out. They would go and they would subdue nations. And they would go into these new lands and they would teach the conquered peoples the culture of Rome. So that these people will not be, they won't have a tendency for revolt. They won't have a tendency to try to fight back. They would go in and they would just completely just teach them the culture of Rome. Okay. Brothers and sisters, today we are commissioned to do the same. We as a people of God, we are not spreading the culture of Korea or America or of Rome. We are spreading the kingdom culture. Amen. The culture of the kingdom of God. We are to go into nations and teach them the ways of the kingdom. Just having spiritual revival will not change a nation. The people of God must seek to occupy. We must become agents of reformation and change. All those in here who have a call and a desire to study and get into international law. I'm telling you, I have so many friends right now that have that calling. This is a call that God has released like never before on this generation. It's a seed that he will most certainly use to bring reformation in the nations. And check this out. We must also not just seek reformation, but we must go to the kings. Go to the kings and seek to influence them with the teachings of Christ, whether they receive him or not. The apostle Paul, when he got the call of God, the Bible says in Romans, I mean, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Paul was given a call 
to appear before Jews, Gentiles, and kings. And guess what Paul did? Along with all the church planning that he did, Paul sought to go to kings. He lived the last days of his life traveling to Rome to see the king. Because that was God's call for him, was to appear before kings. Appear. You know, you know who the kings of these seven mountains are? They are the guys who are the leaders. They are, they are the, the kings of each of these spheres of influence. It's like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. They are the, the kings of the mountain of business. If you look at Spielberg, Steven Spielberg is the king of arts. Anybody will tell you that. I love Steven Spielberg's films. Because he, he does a great job. He's a king. He has influence. Whatever he says, people are going to listen. We got to go to the kings. Yes, we got to go to the poor. I'm not saying we got to neglect going to the poor, but we also got to go to the kings. So many Christians have said we got to go to the poor and only to the poor. And guess what? We have neglected our call to influence nations. So how do you stop human trafficking? Okay. You take the education and business mountains of Thailand and of Cambodia and you show the people a better way to live and make a living. How do you end poverty in India? The people of God need to go in and we need to take the family mountain and influence and reform their caste system so that family is redefined and people's values are redefined. So that, and take the government mountain so that there will be a redistribution of wealth or some kind of way to help the poor. These seven mountains are metaphors for areas that we must climb and take. These are the forces that shape society and nations. But and sisters, if you want to plunder a strong man's house, you got to go into the house. And each of these mountains is a house. And for you to try to, try to take a mountain, you're going to have to take a strong man. You're going to have to face a strong man. But guess what? Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Any principality that tries to oppose you from taking these mountains... I don't care if you feel defeated. I don't care if you can't get a breakthrough. You continue to prophesy. You are coming down. I'm going to take over this house. I'm going to take over. And it's going to become the mountain of the Lord. It will become the house of, the, of, of our God. And you go and you, you bind up that strong man. You take his house. Because you have an anointing to solve the problems in your nation. Because you have an anointing to fix what is wrong. Because you have the creativity to come up with solutions to things that just are held up. Because you have the anointing to cast out demons out of these mountains. Not only are we called to cast out demons from people, we are called to cast out demons from these seven mountains. We dispossess. We, dis, we, 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 we cast them out. Hallelujah. Amen. And you are anointed to go and teach and occupy each of these mountains for the gospel of kingdom. You know... I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close right now. Can I close? Can I close? Do you want me to close? Man, I was so committed to go about 30, 40 minutes today. But I'm sorry I lied again. Okay. Now, most of y'all are saying that, you know, it don't feel like an hour. By the way, an hour just passed by. Thank you. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I know some of y'all, you know, sometimes you ain't feeling it. and you know, It feels like an hour. Well, let me just close with this. Let me just close with this. This is a big revelation I got. As I'm preparing this message, our church 
we have that vision, right, to raise up the army. And we believe that this army is an army of mighty warriors who are anointed to go out and heal the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives. Healing and deliverance. That's what our church leaders, we train them to do. Healing and deliverance. And oftentimes we only take this ministry to individuals. Individuals that are hurt, that are living in all kinds of bondage and secret sin. We take it to individuals. But I believe that God, as I'm preparing this message, God said, healing and deliverance is not just for individuals, but it's also for systems. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has truly come upon you. You want the kingdom of God to come? Is that what you are praying? For the kingdom of God to come? You want the kingdom of God to come? Then I'm telling you right now, you got to cast out demons. Not just out of people, but out of systems. And as we do that, as we cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God will have truly come upon you. Then we'll look around and we'll surely say, God is covering the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters over the seas. Come on, people of God. This is a message of empowerment. This is a message of calling. This is a message to break you loose from every lie of Satan and to restore a truth that has been hidden, which God, I believe, is restoring at this hour to empower his people to reach this generation and to establish his kingdom here. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for each and every person here that has been called into the army of God. And Lord God, there are people here that are in the arts. There are people here that, that have a calling to the arts, but their parents told them not to go into the arts. Lord, I pray that they would, oh God, obey your voice and your calling. Because in the long run, we know that's much smarter just to follow your leading and your calling anyway. Whether they're in the arts, whether in business, education, family, government, media or religion, I pray this day that you would anoint your people to climb these seven mountains, Lord. May we climb these seven mountains, Lord, and influence and be a blessing to entire nations. We don't want to just go in and see a harvest of souls. We also want to see the infrastructure of a nation changed. We want to see poverty stamped out. For those who have seen poverty with our real eyes, with our physical eyes, we've seen poverty in India. We have seen human trafficking in Thailand. And God, our hearts are grieved. This is not so. We reject this, oh God. This is not the kingdom of God. This is not the kingdom of God. Come, this is the kingdom of Satan. We reject it, Lord. And as your people, we believe that, God, we have the anointing to change the history of our entire nation, Lord. Use us, oh God. Call us, O God. Bring us out and empower us, O Lord, so that we may lift up the mountain of the Lord from the highest places in all these different spheres of influence. I pray right now, Lord, I speak out. Movie producers, rise up 
for the glory of God. Musicians that are in this room, rise up for the glory of God. Sing your songs and write your music for the glory of God. Don't just go into Christian music. Go in, into the arts and entertainment industry and take it for the kingdom of God. Influence the people there. Do not be afraid for the Lord your God is with you. I speak to politicians. I speak to senators. I speak to ambassadors. Take the government mountain. Take the high places away from the prophets of Baal and bring it into the hands of the people of God. I speak to people that are, have a calling for communications, for media. Don't follow the ways of the industry. You set a new standard. I speak, I pray destiny. I, I speak out destiny. People will raise up. Lord, Lord, if the pastor of the Mooney's church can start his own newspaper, the Washington Post, surely your people can start a newspaper that will be even more glorious than that. That will be read and trusted. And rightly so, because it is written with as much accuracy as the people of God there can influence it to make. I pray, I speak out just these words of destiny. People in business, people in business, people in finance, finance. The wealth of the wicked will be used to finance the kingdom of God. It will be transferred. It's the word of God says. Because, not because you earned it or deserve it, but because the anointing of God is on you. And as you trust that that anointing and favor is upon you, the wealth of nations will be used to fund the kingdom work. The wealth of nations will not only be used to fund kingdom work and evangelize, but the wealth of nations will also be used to raise up nations out of poverty. The wealth of the wicked will be used to provide medicine for the poor and influence government leaders in third world countries to put away child soldiers, children who are being used as soldiers. They will influence these great men to reform and to stamp out corruption. God, I just speak forth these words right now. This is a church. There's about a hundred people in here, God. But Lord, we don't need a hundred thousand or a hundred million. We just need a remnant that are fully committed to you, that have the right identity, that have the right perspective, and that got the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them. That they will take the healing and deliverance ministry, not only to individuals, but to entire nations, God. We pray that the city of Patia, oh God, Lord, will be completely changed, oh God, Lord. It will become a beautiful place of tourism, oh God, Lord. Not a tourism of prostitution, but a tourism of prosperity. A tourism where people, where people of influence will go and they will see clean, clean things. Beautiful shops. Not only the city of Batia, but Lord, we pray for the nation of Thailand, God. Change, oh Lord. May we take the religion mountain of that land, oh God. We don't need everybody to become a Christian in that land. We just need a remnant to rise up and influence the religion system of that land, God. Lord, religious systems of nations have changed in the last 100 years. So many nations have changed their religion. May we not believe the lie that it will never change. Even nations that have had a religion for thousands of years have been changed in a day. May the people of God 
ascend these hills with clean hands and a pure heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give all the glory to Jesus.